Tennessee football is two weeks into its preseason, and we're here to break it down with you today on this edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer, joined by the Knoxville News Sentinels, John Adams and Adam Sparks. Adam, we didn't have you on last week. We want to get to the football stuff soon, but we know your house was among those affected by last week's tornado. Everything going all right out of the Sparks compound? Uh, yeah, actually, as we record this, I've spent most of my day with uh, tree service guys and uh, in, in insurance and uh, AC unit guys. So I've got them in a sort of a carousel coming through the to the house. Well, Could I have worse. no doubt that Danny White has a GoFundMe uh, fundraiser in the works to help you recoup some of the damages around your house. Absolutely. I, I, I don't doubt that. And uh, uh, But I know you're back to covering preseason practice. Doing a great job with a lot of coverage over at knoxnews.com. And let's get into some of that because uh, you got some observations we want to unpack here today. Let's save Joe Milton, shall we, and get some clarity on the offensive line competition. Because I believe we mentioned on this pod a few weeks ago that figuring out the offensive tackle situations was uh, one of the top storylines, I think, of the preseason. And we've gained some clarity there. Uh, in the face of uh, Miami transfer John Campbell. Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the early on in camp, there was a, maybe a little bit of a head scratcher that when they came out, John Campbell, who is – he's a left tackle. He was a left tackle at Miami. He started there last year. He was at left tackle. And then Gerald Mincy, the returning starter at left tackle, was his backup at left tackle. Now, Mincy can play right or left. He prefers left, but he can play either. So the, you know, you, you think common sense is, well, you put Campbell at left, you move Mincy to right. Now you have your best two tackles in the starting lineup. Instead, Mincy, a returning starter, was a backup. And Jeremiah Crawford uh, was moved over to the right side. Um, if you read between the lines, and I asked Glenn Ellerby, the offensive line coach, about this. I said, are there egos involved in trying to figure out what's going on at offensive tackle? And he said, yeah, the, the, that plays into it. Um, but you got to let that play out and wait till you get to the first scrimmage to make, you know, some hard decisions. And so I think there was a little bit of a hint in there about what was going on because coming out of the first scrimmage last week, we come to the next practice and Mincy has then moved to the right side. So I think, again, reading the tea leaves there, I think that was, uh, you know, Gerald Mincy, we're going to give you a couple weeks uh, to show that you can beat this transfer out and keep your, keep the left tackle spot. And, um, you know, then we're going to move you if you don't. And they went through the first scrimmage and he was moved to the right side. And so I give Ellerby some credit in that he had the patience to let that play out. You could have easily just told the returning starter, hey, you're not as good as this other guy or this other guy can only play that position. So you've got to move. Instead, they let it play out on the field and uh, and they ended up with their probably their best two tackles in the starting lineup. And so that's I think that's not as much of a concern now. The bigger concern is now in the middle of the line um, because they they have to replace Jerome Carbon at left guard. Um, they haven't had a guy really take that spot, and then Cooper Mays went down with an injury, your preseason All-SEC starting center. And so uh, Ollie Lane, who is, in, who is the front runner at left guard, he is also the second-best center. He has moved to center, so you've got a – left guard already playing center, you've got your starting center out, and you've got left guard open where 
anybody to begin with. So there's there's some problems there. If Cooper Mays comes back in a couple of weeks, which Josh Heupel thinks he probably will, that you can put a Band-Aid on that and move forward. But I think it does open up some conversations that could happen later in the year if you have any injuries there or if left guard isn't good enough. I think because of Josh Heupel's offensive expertise in his system, uh, offensive line issues aren't as troubling as there, there might be elsewhere. Uh, you just figure he'll find a way to scheme around whatever's need be, whatever it needs to be done. Uh, but we know there's not going to be, I, I can't imagine there's going to be a number 10 draft pick like last year when you had Darnell Wright. To me, the center uh, center position is really intriguing. Uh, Cooper Mays is not an overly big guy for an offensive lineman in the SEC. I know centers by their aren't as aren't as big as offensive tackles or guards either, but he needs to stay healthy. I think a lot is put on a center in this offense. For one thing, he's got to get up there to the ball really fast because Tennessee is going full speed. And he's got to make calls on the fly, uh, blocking assignments, that kind of thing. So that, to me, is a bigger issue. And not that this it, they've downplayed the significance of his surgery uh, and it's not considered a big deal, but it does raise a red flag. What if he would get hurt? That, to me, a serious, a more serious injury than that could be. That could be kind of dicey. Yeah, what is the level of concern, do you think, Adam, with this injury situation to Cooper Mays, because you never want injuries to occur. I think, generally speaking, they occur a few weeks from before the season starts, and it's like, okay, that's not a five-alarm fire or anything. But to John's point, the center is a focal point in, in any offense, but I think in this system in particular, having a center who's the familiar trigger man for Josh Heupel's system at this tempo, particularly with a new starting quarterback. I know Joe Milton's been around for a couple years now, but still, it is a transition to a new starter at quarterback. I think you feel a little better about that if you got your your uh, trusted center in the middle of all this. Yeah, we asked uh, Josh Hopple to specify some type of timetable, and his answer was, it's a couple-week deal. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he literally means two weeks, um, but that does tell you it's short-term, and we've got more than a couple weeks until the season opener. Um, if I had to guess, I would say he would be available for the season opener, um, probably able to play the season opener. But, you know, you got to think if let's say Tennessee plays like uh, like the line says, which is the, the betting line, which is what, like four touchdowns or something like that. You can get into that Virginia game, run your offense smoothly with Cooper Mays out there, get up big. He doesn't have to play the full four quarters, and then you have a non-conference game the next week, and then you try to get him um, healed up completely for the trip to Florida. That's that's one of many scenarios that this could be, but it's not the hardest schedule early in the year. They're not playing a ranked team in the first couple weeks, um, so that they can ease this in. I mean, Ellerby said that's probably the biggest thing uh, about Cooper Mace is that what John said, which is he makes the calls. He gets them – he, he makes their their offense operate the fastest of any in the country. And Ollie Lane has been there a long time, and he's mostly played guard. He hasn't played much center. But uh, you're going to lose a couple seconds of pl- between plays because Cooper Mays is not out there. And if you're losing a couple of seconds between plays, 
this is no longer the fastest offense in the, in the country, and you could just lose a little bit of an edge. I, I do think it's also concerning that instead of bringing up the number two center, you moved your guard over to center uh, because that, that tells you right there that the backup centers aren't ready. And Addison Nichols, the redshirt freshman, is the guy that they've been trying to get ready. Obviously, he's not there yet. Um, Parker Ball is a longtime uh, backup. He was a walk-on. He's a, he's been a possibility. They've got um, Vasin Lang, who's a freshman, who's not going to be ready. They even moved Dane Davis, who is a longtime tackle, backup tackle. They've given him some snaps at uh, center. So that tells you that they're not 100% sure what they had there as a backup, that they're having to move guys around. And, uh, you know, we asked Ellerby what was the issue with the backup centers, and he said snapping the ball. Yeah. Which is which, which is pretty critical. Pretty big issue to that position. Um, and, and and there's also the fact that Ollie Lane was starting at left guard, kind of tells you that the other guys that were at left guard weren't weren't working out. Addison Nichols is a, another one they've tried there. Um, the biggest one is the Texas transfer, uh, uh, Andre uh, Carrick. Um, he's not not ready, and now he he's probably going to be your starter there right now if Ollie Lane is the starter center, but. Just all that goes to say they're not a they're not a hundred percent sure of what they have at that interior line, and so what your biggest problems were on a tackle have now been been moved to the interior. But as I've said on this pod before, Josh Hopple values problem solvers with his assistants, and that's what Glenn Ellerby is. You give him a problem, he'll figure out figure it out, and you can already see that when he's moving pieces now in the middle of camp to make sure that they fill those spots. Uh, when we look at, at how good Josh Heupel's offense has been, and as he and his staff have done well at recruiting, it's almost as though, well, did they see this coming, this possibility? To, is this a sort of – did they not do as good a job as they needed to in recruiting a center? Uh, we're talking about how important it is, and yet here we have them having to move a guard over to center, uh, talking about center snap issues. Um, what do you think, Blake? Is this a, was this, should this have been resolved in recruiting? I mean, I think that'll be something for Josh Heupel to address over time. I think everything looked so good for Heupel in Tennessee in the first two years. We kind of forgot that if there was an issue with this program, there's probably some depth concerns lying underneath the surface. Now, when you have great star power and you stay largely healthy throughout a season, which by and large Tennessee did last year, I think that can mask some of those those issues lying beneath the surface there. But yeah, I mean, I think if there's something that Heupel needs to address over time, and this was sort of the hand he was dealt with the program and, and flux and some turmoil when he took over was the depth issue. And that's not something that can totally be addressed overnight, particularly with Tennessee having self-imposed some of those scholarship restrictions kind of coming out of the gates of the Hypel area. So I don't want to be an apologist, but I do think it was a, a tough hand to play when it comes to building depth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also center is sort of a squirrely position because um, in high school, your, your best offensive lineman is not going to be at center. They're, they're going to be usually at a left tackle. Um, if they don't have really good feet or they may be at guard. Um, so, and just do the math or there's twice as many guards and tackles as there are centers, right? So you're just, there's not that many options to go get a four or five star center. Um, 
you know, the a center in high school is going to be usually undersized. Um, your smallest, most athletic offensive lineman usually is going to play play center. And so that guy's not going to be big enough to play power five football. He's just not. And so that's why you see a lot of guys converted to center. Uh, that was the case for Jerome Carvin um, when he when he was needed. Uh, Cooper Mays, I believe that was the case. Um, maybe wrong on that. I don't remember Cooper that much in high school. Um, but uh, but you know y- your best offensive linemen are going to be are not going to be at center usually at the high school level. Addison Nichols, they had brought in last year. He was their highest ranked recruit in his class a uh, year and a half ago. And he was a guard tackle. Uh, he was not a center. He had never snapped a ball until he got here in spring practice a little over a year ago. And, you know, the fact that it's shotgun also, some guys have issues with that. If you're under center, it's, it's, it's just one motion that you're really just adding to what you do. Um, shotgun involves a little bit more of a rhythm and a soft touch. And a lot of big bruisers like that do not have a soft touch to snap shotgun. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's a learned craft. And when you add in, that you have to run this offense really, really quickly to operate at that high tempo. It's just, it's just sort of an added, added thing. And I think Addison Nichols is probably going to be your guy long term, but he's, but he's not there yet. All right. Well, let's let's move on to other positions. Uh, quarterback. We didn't figure there was going to be any real quarterback controversy in the preseason. This is Joe Milton's job at the onset, and. Nico is is in that backup role. There really hasn't even been any faux controversy, which you sometimes see drummed up in the preseason. Even when you kind of know who the starter is, sometimes there will be uh, media reports that suggest otherwise. But that hasn't even happened at, at Tennessee this preseason. And it's it's been pretty quiet. It's Joe Milton's job. Nico's the quarterback of the future behind him. So as you look at that, though, are there some insights that can be gleaned from what we've seen? from quarterback throughout two weeks of preseason? Well, I think as much as anything, it's stuff that's going on off the field. It's the rhetoric around Joe Milton. Um, And this is not his fault, but if you didn't know if you had parachuted into this program and heard his teammates describe Joe Milton and his coaches describe Joe Milton, you would think this guy has been a two-year starter, that he was all-conference last year, that he's, you know – played 20 games in the system and started 15. And, and that's sort of what you get, that he's gone and won big games in the SEC. Uh, that's not the case. Now, he played he played fine against Vanderbilt last year, and he played really good against Clemson. I will add the fact that there was they punted a lot at Clemson. They did not start well. That was not a flawless offensive performance. It was a good performance. It was a clean performance. He threw three touchdowns, uh, no picks, no major mistakes. He was the Orange Bowl MVP. That's great. Um, But the rhetoric around Joe is he's been elevated so much this preseason because of his arm strength, because of the Orange Bowl performance, that he is this unquestioned, undisputed leader, that he's a guy that's going to, you know, throw for 3,000 yards or whatever, that he understands the offense inside and out that, uh, you know, he sort of dictates what things that happen off the field, um, that all his teammates come to him. They have this immense trust in Joe. Um, All that's good good and well, um, but he started two games last year, and he was the backup. And so I think Joe Milton's probably going to have a pretty good season. Um, But he's been elevated to such a point now that if he does struggle early in the year, um, you know, you could – you could be in a tough spot because he, he's really, really high up there. It would be a, a long fall to go down. 
if he struggles. I'm not saying lose games. I'm not saying he doesn't he doesn't play to a certain level, but he you know he could struggle. He could throw a couple picks in a game. He could be off target. Uh, the overthrows could return. He just could not have it one day. He's not going to be Hendon Hooker. He's not going to throw 40 touchdowns and two picks. Nobody is. Um, and so that's that's what I've taken at a preseason camp is that uh, it's sometimes hard to step back and realize this guy is not superhuman. So maybe we need to all take a collective deep breath. I saw odds today again how his Heisman, um, his Heisman odds in Vegas are still going way up. Um, and that's cr- that's that's crazy. I get it. Um, he's probably going to have some great stats, and he's a good player. But boy, we all need to take a deep breath on Joe Milton because uh, there's nothing that we've seen so far in his career that says he's going to be an All SEC player for 12 games. What we've seen so far is that he has the potential to play to that level in a short period of time. I've noticed with uh, Josh Heupel's offense, the standards have standards have been set so high. And when it's really rolling, it's so productive. Uh, those the sixty-six points against Missouri last year, for example, that any flaw or shortcoming is magnified. On talk shows, even when Hendon Hooker last season, he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. Or going back to his first year, first year as a starter, when Tennessee averaged almost forty points a game last year, of course, led the nation in average scoring. Uh, fans would. After games that well, Hendon Hooker was just okay in that game. You know they they did they went two straight three and outs. I mean, a lot of people go have three and outs. I just think the expectations are so high for this offense that fans get a little panicky pretty quickly when Tennessee doesn't just roar down the field and score. Um, and I wonder if that affects the players at all. I wonder, like with Joe Milton. Uh, he's talked about how he has had to learn not to be too hard on himself, to forget mistakes. And his offense coordinator, Joey Hosley, has talked about this. You just learn from your mistake and move on. Easier said. But in this offense, uh, with the production that's anticipated, anything short of that, it it, it generates criticism. Uh, it even like I said, even so with uh, with Hendon Hooker, it did, and he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, and maybe Joe Milton will turn out the same way, but I do think he has to be able to handle that anytime the offense doesn't. When he walks off the field after three and out, he can't he can't be bothered by it. Hendon Hooker wasn't. Adam, do you get any sense for how ready Nico would be if he's needed early in the season? I'm, I'm not, again, I want to steer clear of the quarterback controversy thing. I'm not suggesting that, but we've seen the past two seasons that injuries can happen. It's, it's, you know, it's not a given. You can go wire to wire with one quarterback. Tennessee needed two last year. They needed two in 2021. They needed more than two for much of the Jeremy Pruitt era. How, how, how good should Tennessee feel if they were to need Nico uh, for any reason you think in the first month of this season? Well, I'm thinking back to, Joe Milton's first start of the home game was it Bowling Green? Is that who it was? I think Ball right. State of Bowling mm-hmm. Green is one of the bees. Bowling Green, I believe. If you remember back to that game, Milton had some overthrows, and then he had a couple of good throws, and he ended up completing like fifty percent of his passes. But you could see on a couple plays, you're like, "Wow, I, I can see what's there," but this guy is still too far off, off target. 
I think that's what you would get out of Nico at this point, uh, maybe throughout any any point in this this season, because we don't see a lot of practice, but we see enough, and we see the you see him side by side going rep rep for rep with Joe Milton and Joe Milton. You see passes on target, you know, ten in a row. Um, Nico, you will see him on target for a couple, and then you'll see him overthrow a guy by quite a bit. And then you'll see him on target, and then you'll see an overthrow. I said this back in the spring. I, I never see Nico underthrow a pass. It's always overthrows, uh, whether his mechanics are not perfect or he's just got a cannon for an arm and he's trying to show it or whatever. But he looks like Joe Milton when Joe Milton got here, um, you know, a couple years ago. That's what Nico looks like to me. Now, could you could you win some SEC games like that? Could you finish games like that? Yeah, I think you could. Um, he understands the offense pretty well. Um, in the scrimmage that was close to us, to the media, um, Josh Hopple hinted at, at some issues that the backup quarterback, he never says Nico's name, the backup quarterback had in situational <laughs> football, in four-minute drills and things like this. Um, he, he's, he's being tested. Nico's being tested to run the offense efficiently, run it quickly, and run it in situations where he doesn't have time to react. Um, and that's where he's struggling right now. And that's where Joe Milton struggled when he first was the starter. Um, so Nico could do the could do the job to an adequate degree. And there would be plays like that one throw he made to Ethan Davis in the spring game, uh, where he said, Whoa, look at that. He was he was on the run, he was off his back foot and threw an over-the-shoulder. Um, pass on the run on a line like twenty something yards downfield. Wow! But then the next one, he's you know an overthrow or off target or he's throwing to the wrong guy. That, that's what you're going to get, Nico. You're going to see a really talented uh, yet flawed freshman. I would think there's a sense of urgency with the coaches about getting Nico ready for that very reason. Because then once you go beyond Nico, who knows what Tennessee would have at quarterback? There's just no quality depth beyond Nico. So they have to prepare him. I would think like he's got to be ready to be the number one quarterback. If anything happens to Joe, he's also, if anything happens to Joe Milton, then it's even more imperative that Nico stay healthy. So that's the biggest issue, I think. Yeah. And if, by the way, the two topics we've talked about combine those two, take Joe Milton out, even for like a half a game or something, you know, turned ankle or something like that. Um, and then Cooper Mays is out right now. Well, suddenly you have just like that. You've got, you're going from a team that's top 10, top 12 in the country to having a freshman who's never played a snap as your only scholarship quarterback. You've got a center that's out. You've got a, a guard who has not started before regularly moving to center. And then you've got a brand new guard who's never started. And so the dominoes can, can fall in a good way. The dominoes can also fall in a, in a bad way with just a couple of a uh, couple of issues. And I think that interior line and quarterback are two of those where that could be pretty pivotal. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball. We've talked on, about the offense up to this point. We know elevating that defense is going to be paramount to Tennessee, kind of living up to its goals this season, particularly because you don't have in and Hooker anymore. The defense is going to have to at least hold its own. Uh, I'm curious about a couple things in particular and what you've seen there. Number one, we've talked a lot about Keenan Peely, the BYU transfer linebacker throughout this offseason. 
how does he look in the middle of that defense, number one? And number two, the back end of the defense was really the softest point last year. That defensive secondary, it really cost Tennessee at times. It certainly cost Tennessee in the loss to South Carolina. So what have we seen from Peely and also from the back end of the defense here? Uh, Peely is middle linebacker. They've moved Aaron Beasley um, to uh, to the wheel, to the weak side linebacker. For I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to explain Tennessee's scheme, but they only play two linebackers. There's one in the middle, one on the weak side. The past two years, Jeremy Banks had played on the weak side. So the plays that people remember of Jeremy Banks being this guided missile and taking out quarterbacks and running backs and just running all over the field. That's now the position that Aaron Beasley is playing. And by the way, that's the position he played in the orange bowl when he had the best game of his career at like what two sacks and four TFLs. So that position is a guy that's supposed to just go make plays. Peely is a more traditional middle linebacker. Now I said that to Brian John Marie, the, the linebackers coach at, at, uh, at UT, I called Keenan Peely a traditional middle linebacker and he bristled at that. And said, no, 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 he's – because I, the the takeaway there is, well, they, he's big and slow, uh, and he's a guy that can only play the run. Uh, they say he can he can rush the passer. He can drop into coverage. He's agile. Uh, he, he, he may be. I want to see it on Saturdays because, um, you know, BYU has produced a lot of good linebackers over the years. There's slightly different – there's a different animal of a BYU – very good linebacker and a an SEC linebacker. You've got to be a little more athletic. He has the size and all that, and all the his teammates say he you know, he meets you in the hole. You feel it. Um, but I want to see him drop into coverage, and you know that that goes to Blake. Your second question about the secondary because there's there's multiple issues in this pass defense, and it was close to the worst in college football last year. There's the pass rush. They've got to figure out how to how to how to get a, a pass rush with Byron Young gone. Uh, there's the there's the the secondary obviously is the biggest piece of that, but then there's the linebackers and they're a big piece of the coverage. And so Peely is going to have to cover people, or else he's not going to be on the field. Um, and in the secondary, I mean, I, I think I I, I want to ask this of you guys because sometimes I feel like I'm I've been too close to this over time. But I was adding up the in the secondary of all the guys they they have coming back. I was adding up, up the games they played and the starts that you know, all these guys got back because. If if I list off the the DBs that Tennessee comes has coming back, fans will instantly recognize their names because they're the same guys as last year. That Gabe Judy Lolly is is the new guy. He's the BYU transfer. He's played at Vanderbilt, but everybody else is is pretty much back. They have if you if you add it up, which I did, their Tennessee's returning defensive backs have three hundred and thirty five games played at the FBS level. They combined have 133 starts, and that's 10 different guys that split up those 133 starts. In other words, on average, 10 guys that have played that have started for an entire season are now in the secondary. So, I mean, I ask you guys, I don't even know if what my takeaway is there if they struggle this year. Does that mean if they're bad in the secondary this year, that means these players are just not good? Or does that mean this coaching staff can't coach them? because they've been here forever and they've played a ton of games and it hasn't worked out yet. So if it doesn't work out this year with the same players, what does that mean? To me, it means that they're a hot pocket and hot pockets don't change much from day to day, right? If you eat a hot pocket for lunch every day, you know what you're getting. 
but you're not dressing <laughs> up a hot pocket. You're getting a hot pocket and it's going to be the same thing every day. So even if you eat that hot pocket five days a week, uh, yeah, you know what you're getting. It's familiar. You're never going to say, oh, lunch was awful today because it was the same as it was the day before. <laughs> but lunch is never going to be very good either. It's just always going to be the same. And it has a ceiling on it because it's a stinking hot pocket for, for Pete's sake, right? Like that's <laughs> that's what my interpretation is here, which I think is not just a Tennessee thing. Like when you have an, a, uh, a position group that's had a ceiling on it for a few years um, and, and you, you want to get a little higher production out of it, and you see in these preview magazines, oh, all this experience returning, the number of starts returning. And, and you go back, it's like, was that a good thing? Because they were kind of a, a bugaboo last year. They were they were the position group that, you know, could cost you at times. So that, to me, is, is what it is. It's a hot pocket for lunch every day. You know what you're getting? It's not going to be great, but you know what it is. If you switch from ham and cheese hot pocket to the chicken, broccoli, and cheddar, and you go back and forth, it, it tastes like a different meal. There you go. <laughs> speaking from experience. I think uh, that's an amazing stat. Ten different t d defensive backs have combined for 133 starts. When I look at those ten guys, what's also, to me, unusual about that is that None of them really stick out to me. They're just kind of all in this same group. And if I said, well, who would be the most likely out of these 10 guys to become an all-SEC player? I have no idea whom I would pick. Usually you'd think so, there's some guy that shows flashes, makes some plays. You think, yeah, he could be the guy. I just don't see that with this bunch. And I think that's the biggest concern about this uh, this Tennessee team is what if these guys are no better than last season? Tennessee's going to give up a lot of passing yards. And, and I'm curious to see how much flexibility this, this coaching staff shows because I, th I think it's a fair criticism in the past. They have not replaced guys. They haven't moved guys around enough. They've said, well, it's, you know, we won the game. Yeah, we gave up a ton of yards, but we still won the game and we made a couple plays on third down late in the game, and that's fine. And their defense had some really good strengths last year, but it was more in the front seven. It was the run defense. It was pass rush. It was not in the secondary. And I think sometimes this coaching staff said it's, it's good enough. We're not going to mess with it because it, it could be worse. We could have a young guy out there and just blow coverages rather than, you know, giving up uh, an uh, – a moderate amount of yards. Um, so this year they've got a chance to sort of reboot that and rethink that. And I, I see at least hints that they may go a different path. Um, Warren Burrell, who missed most of last year, he was a starter at corner with the last couple of years, but he, he started the first two games last year and then had an injury. was out all of last year. He's back now as a lot of guys are. He's back at corner, but they they've had some, some minor injuries at safety and star position, which is their nickelback. They've moved Burrell from corner to to the star position and safety. So he's sort of cross-training at those other positions. That tells me maybe they're thinking, eh, you know, maybe he wasn't good enough. Maybe we need to try him somewhere else. Um, Andre Turrentine, um, is uh, he's an Ohio State transfer, came here a year ago. He's a Nashville kid from Innsworth. Um, they've had him starting at safety so far, um, and he didn't play that much last year. Uh, th there's just hints, I think, of them saying, 
we're not going to completely scrap this group and start over or just play freshmen, but we're going to try to give it a different look. Uh, if you think last year, uh, Danico Slaughter was a, he was a star and a safety and in a pinch, they had to put him at corner because they were running out of corners because of injuries. They put him at corner and he was their best corner in, in no time. And so I think there's a thought of, well, maybe we should do that with other guys and see how they, how they work out in different places. And um, they pride themselves on having defensive backs to have a lot of versatility. Um, but I don't think they practice that as much in games and they haven't been as flexible on their own. So I'll be curious to see if they take this, these same ingredients and try to do something different with it. Not, not a hot pocket, but maybe, maybe some of the dish. I want to wrap up here shortly, but before we do, there's a name I keep hearing throughout the, the preseason. And, and I know Adam, you're out there as much as anyone. So I can get your reaction to this. Dante Thornton, the Oregon transfer. Boy, there is a lot of buzz building around him, the wide receiver. Now, I know the easy thing to do would be to say, hey, just look at the Orange Bowl. The three wide receivers Tennessee played in that game, you know, that they leaned on anyway, played more than three. But the, the, the big three, if you will, they're all back. Brew McCoy, Squirrel White, Ramel Keaton. Why not just roll out those three? Well, Thornton, I mean, you just, at least from kind of the periphery, you keep hearing his name come up. So what's your read on that, Adam? Is that just buzz around a transfer that tends to happen? You know, those guys sometimes get the get the spotlight more so than the returners, or is there something legitimate there where this guy could, could become a major factor in this offense? I was talking to somebody at practice the other day, somebody in the UT athletic department, and uh, we were watching receiving drills. And this person leaned over to me and said, I saw a headline or some report the other day is Dante Thornton a Bolitnikoff candidate? And at that point, the guy said, we need to slow this train down. This is <laughs> this is getting out of hand. And this is a fan of Dante Thornton. We were actually talking about, hey, this guy looks good. He's got he's got all the tools. But uh, I, I would agree with, with that guy. Need to slow the train down. Um, he's not starting right now. Those other three guys you, you mentioned were the starters in the Orange Bowl. If they played today, they would be the starters today. Now, Josh Hoppel, as he has said for the last couple of years, he says they're 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 going to expand the rotation. It's not just going to be three guys. And we've heard that so many times. It's not going to be just three guys. Now, it's easy to say that early in the season because Virginia, they're probably going to get a big lead. They're going to get early games. And so you're going to have other guys playing. So Dante Thornton could be the number four receiver not get in in the first you know quarter and a half and still finish the game with 100 yards in some of these games. Um, but in SEC games, is he in the rotation? Uh, let's wait and see. Um, as I've said on this pod before, the last two seasons, the three guys he started the season with at wide receiver were not the three that played most of the snaps throughout the year. You always had one guy get injured or get replaced, and so it, it changes. I think for all four guys are going to play a lot this year and catch a lot of balls, but – um, you know, Dante Thornton's not that yet. Um, he's a typical preseason hype guy in that he's 6'5", so he looks the part. Um, he can fly. He's really fast, so he, he looks the part. He didn't start at Oregon last year, so there was something that Oregon looked at and said, we can use him. He had caught like 20 balls, had a couple touchdowns. Um, something at Oregon told them we can use him. 
He's got a place in their offense, but he's not good enough to start yet. And I think they saw the tools there, um, but it didn't work out completely. So that tells you maybe there's a little bit missing in his game now. He's got plenty of time to show that. Um, I suspect some of it is that he has the size to play on the outside, but not necessarily the strength. Uh, you saw that a little bit with Jalen Hyatt uh, two years ago where he was on the outside but did not have the strength to get off press man coverage, so they had to move him to the slot. Um, and um, he's because he's a big guy, Thornton, um, he, he's athletic for his size, but he doesn't get out of breaks as well as like a squirrel Whitewood or a smaller typical slot receiver. So you have to be a little bit creative with him, not in the same way that they were with Hyatt, but you have to be creative. And so – I can see some some things that a, def- a defense would look at and say, we can exploit this one little weakness. But overall, he's got the tools, he's got the speed, he catches balls. If you went out and saw him at practice, you would say that's an NFL wide receiver. I'm, I'll just be curious to see where he fits in the offense. I think it'll take a few games before they can figure that out. Well, I, I think that experience matters in this offense. Uh, and I think those three returning guys, it would be hard for anybody to displace them because they all looked really good at the end of last season. So Brew McCoy, 52 catches, Squirrel White, fast and quick. I, I see him being an all-SEC receiver. And Ramel Keaton has proven to be a big play guy, and he, he makes tough catches. So I think it's a real nice group, and I think they'll find a way to use Dante Thornton, Thornton too, but probably won't win the Boletnikoff Award. You're right about that, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't hear that from us. We'll we'll no. put the brakes on that just just a little bit. But preseason practice rolls on. You can find all the coverage from Adam at knoxnews.com. John will have the commentary throughout the next couple weeks here leading up to that September 2nd opener against Virginia in Nashville. And we will continue to be here with you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.